Hi, this is Jenny Procopi from ChronicBabe.com, and we're here today um, with a guest speaker for Lesson 6, which is all about building your team. So today I'm welcoming Lisa Copen. She is the founder of RestMinistries.com, and she's also the author of the book Beyond Casseroles, which I think is such a fun and fantastic book and makes a great gift. So if you're curious about that, you can check that out at Amazon.com and other major booksellers, and you, or also at her site at RestMinistries.com. You can order it directly from her. It's a great primer on how to be a great friend to someone with chronic illness. So um, welcome, Lisa. It's so great to have you on the line today. Thanks for having me. Um, so Lisa's been a friend of mine for years, and you know we're both online a lot writing about life with chronic illness. She has, like me, multiple chronic illnesses, and she's still rocking it. She's still cute and fun and sassy and got it going on. So I thought she'd be a great person to talk with us today about team building. Um, team building is something I talk about a lot at Chronic Babe, about building Team You. And if you go to my site and you just plug team into the search box, you'll see my first article that I wrote about, um, I think I said something like, having a posse isn't just for people like J-Lo, <laughs> something like that. Uh-huh. Um, so, because I think, you know, I, I think being surrounded by people who support you is a great thing to go. So, just to kick things off, Lisa, can you give us an idea of um, who's on your team, like who's on Team Lisa, the people that support you and, and are in your life in a big way? Well, I think um, I probably represent a, represent a lot of people out there who live with a chronic illness because um, I have some amazing, wonderful friends, and I have family, and I have friends across the country, and I have acquaintances. I have a lot of layers in friendships that would make up my team. And yet at the same time, um, there's also that feeling of, gosh, who could I call right now to help me out with this? I can't think of a single person. <laughs> you know, and so um, as I was writing something the other day, um, I was asking this question, you know, about when you're a parent, does your child feel this way? And explaining it as a person with a chronic illness, we have a lot of friends sometimes who we can call in the middle of the night in an emergency. We have a lot of friends who if we end up in the hospital and we need a ride home, we could call in an emergency. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those friends that we just need to be able to call because we just need a cup of coffee or we need someone <laughs> to just come by and undo a jar for us and hang yeah. out really for 10 minutes. <laughs> Sometimes those are the hardest friends for us to find. Mm-hmm. And what I find is that um, a lot of times it's it's me telling myself I should be able to handle this. I don't need to buck them, bug them right now. They are really busy. They have kids too. Or they have a family. They have their own illness. They have issues. Yeah. I, I'm the lowest priority on their list. And in actuality, that's not necessarily true because what I find a lot of times that people really want to help, but they just don't know how. And yeah. sometimes people are literally in your neighborhood only a mile away, and they find out later you could have used them, you know, yeah, either for right. a gallon of milk or just a friendly hug for 10 minutes. And um, and then they feel disappointed they didn't know it. So, you know, yeah. I do have um, a wonderful family, and I feel extremely blessed for that, but they all live um, at least a 1,000 miles away. So yeah. there, you know, my mom will say in an emergency, I can get there in two hours on an airplane ride. But in reality, there, that's, you know, four hours to the air, airplane sure, <laughs> to get there. Sure. 
um, you know, a two-hour flight in the air maybe, but in our three-hour layover going the opposite direction, you know. And so um, I find myself wishing sometimes I, I did have family that lived closer. So yeah. family, friends, um, and then, you know, I think as some with a chronic illness, it's very, very hard to ask for help, and, and that's a whole other show unto itself. But well, we'll there are people who a little bit for sure. <laughs> okay, there are people that fall under the category maybe of our um, well-known acquaintances. Maybe people uh-huh, you uh-huh. are getting to know that you've kind of clicked with at a at a meeting or a Bible study or a support group meeting or your kids' event or whatever. And it's so hard to take that extra step just to say, yeah. "Hey, could." could you pick up my kid after school this week or mm-hmm. could you do this? You know, it's so hard to go from being that acquaintance to someone who needs something. And well, what, I've tried to the, push myself. Yeah, that's one of the challenges I think that, that a lot of us face. I mean, when we talk about asking for help, um, is that it is really hard to admit that you need help, to ask people that you may not know that well for help. But I think what I've found is that a lot of times simple requests um, are really, I think, for the most part, met with enthusiasm. I mean, most of the people that I bump into in my life, even when they aren't that close friends, if I need something small and um, and I ask for it in a gracious kind of way, I usually can get the help that I need. But I also think the flip side of that is that I make sure that people know that I'm available. So if they need something they, you know, they can call on me. Like I, I have this one friend who um, many months ago I was really, really sick at the beginning of the year. I was sick for weeks and had to stay in my house and had to cancel a plane trip and all kinds of stuff, um, which was pretty severe for me. I was having some breathing issues. And I, she asked how she could help, and she lives fairly close by. And I had been sitting in my apartment for days and days eating the same food and feeling kind of bored and I said could you go to my favorite sandwich shop that's like midway between our houses and get me a sandwich that's uh-huh. like an exciting sandwich from you know Chinatown and I really am not that close with her but she asked if she could help I had been tweeting like oh, I'm stranded in my house I don't feel good she asked if she could help and it was like yeah I, I would love to take you up on that and then I've subsequently done things for her and I think that um the more open we can be about it, I, I think that really sets a precedent and helps people know that it's okay to ask for help um, and that sometimes those sometimes it's the smallest things. Like I've written before about my guys at the UPS store where I get all my mail. Um, you know, they know that sometimes I don't feel good and it's really hard for me to lift a box or – um, they know sometimes I'm waiting for a package or a paycheck or something, and I'm really excited, and they'll call me and let me know, which I know is totally not part of a standard service at a UPS store that they uh-huh. personally call you. Um, so when I think about people on my team, I include all those people. Like I include the manicurist who does a really great job on my pedicures because she's just really awesome. I include my cleaning lady. Like When I think about Team Jenny, it's full of all kinds, you know, I'm thinking about all my health care providers, like, my team is majorly big, it's like, we've got the, the major league team and the minor league team. <laughs> okay, well, you've just expanded my, <laughs> yeah, because I, if you were talking about all those folks, then it does, it does take a village sometimes, even just for one of us, and I, you know, I think you learn, um, 
what you want to do in your timing with your energy um, and what you need to either ask for help on or pay someone to do. We have a gardener that comes and, you know, trips her clips our plants and all that in the grass and I have a husband who's perfectly healthy that could do it but that is not a joy to him he would rather do anything than gardening (laughs) and you know about the third day he tried it we were at the ER for you know seven hours on a Saturday and the copay alone would have paid for a gardener (laughs) so you know I made the choice then and he's perfectly happy with that and to come home and see the prickly you know thorn branches from the palm trees all backed up is Mm -hmm. is a gift so it yeah, and if you're talking about medical teams, it it does. It takes a village to keep keep us put together, walking, keep us looking half decent, <laughs> and and all of those things. Yeah, I tend to think like the, all those little things to me. I include them just because I, in, and here's why we you know we started to talk about asking for help, and I think that a lot of times, you know, I've gotten stuck feeling like I couldn't ask for help or I didn't want to ask a friend for something really big when in fact maybe just a small assistance would actually make my day easier and so I've started to try to think about moving through my day are there small ways that if I need help I can ask for help and get it and how is that going to will that help my day go better so for example today I was riding on the bus and my knees and legs were hurting really badly, and when the bus pulled over to pick me up, I just said, hey, can you lower the bus? We have these you know, buses here in Chicago that go up and down, make it easier for you to step on. And that's just a small thing. Like, I, normally, I, would, I wouldn't ask for it, but today I was like, can you please, ask, can you please lower the bus for me? That's really going to help me. Um, a really small thing. It's actually part of the bus driver's job, but, I mean, I thanked the bus driver. And sure. He was super polite and friendly. And... I guess, you know, I I don't know, for years I thought I had to be so independent, do everything on my own, that it wasn't a good idea to ask people for help. And now I guess I've just gotten over it because I need need assistance with different things. I think that happens with age and experience. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, when you you just start doing little things like that, It beca- every time you do it, it becomes a little simpler. So yeah. the first time, if if you're someone out there who lives with a chronic illness and you've never asked someone for help, like I have, you know, every time I'd buy a Snapple or something at the store and I was going to drink it, I'd have I'd have to ask them, Will you, would you please open the bottle for me? <laughs> because I can't get it open. Uh-huh. And I just kind of, you know, briefly explain, I'm sorry, I have room to try this, and it's really hard for me. And they always go, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but every time you do a, the tiniest thing like that, it does get easier. And you find um, most of us with chronic illness are real fighters. We will fight to do everything we can possibly do. But <laughs> so when you ask for help, it's not a sign of your weakness. It's a sign of conserving your strengths for the things that are important in your day, you know, and, and saving up for the things that you really value. And, you know, maybe you knew you were going to do a certain amount of walking later in the day and that if you stepped on that step wrong and your knee went out or or whatever happened, then that would prevent you from doing something healthier the rest of the day that you had planned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, we, it is a mindset that we have to kind of take on and you just sometimes have to claim it before you feel comfortable with it. And then in time yeah. it does get simpler. I think what you said about just taking those first little things, I think is such a big deal. And I, I don't, you know, it, it is true that in the beginning of my time of being um, a sick chick, I really was 
freaked out about asking my friends for help. I got sick when I was 25, and it just felt like no one else I knew had any issues. And so asking them for help with things or expressing to them maybe I can't do that or I need to do this in a different way, I always felt so self-conscious about it. And it is true that as time has gone on, I've just totally gotten over it. Some of that is just I stopped worrying about what other people think of me. And, in fact, it just turns out that, most of the people in my life want to be helpful, and they get satisfaction from being helpful the same way I do. I love to help people. I mean, that's why Chronic Babe came to be. But I find that just, you know, asking for those little things, those for that first time can feel so hard sometimes, I know. But um, when you get over it, I think it makes such a big difference. It does, and I think when you ask, um, the first time you ask any person, it can be difficult, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and then their response um, a lot of times will encourage you to do it again. And I think what you said is important, too, about um, that you're able to do things for them, too. I find, you know, I, my son is in Taekwondo, and he's been at the same studio for three years, so I've gotten to know a lot of the moms over the years there. You know, and, and our personality, our outlook, our willingness to say, oh, yeah, that's going on in my life, too, or I'm stressed about the holidays, too, or whatever, you know, they kind of get to know you to a certain level. When you have to actually ask them for help, when I had a splint on my hand for about um, three months, I had joint replacement surgery for rheumatoid arthritis, and I couldn't drive, and it was really, really hard for me to even find a ride to the studio because everybody's lives are chaos. Right. And to find someone who's going the same day, same time that's in your kid's same class is nearly impossible. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I could take a taxi down there, and that was about $10, and then I could just beg a ride off of whoever happened to be there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to get home. And get uh-huh. everyone was more than willing to give me a ride home, you yeah. know, and – and you do you find the the act of only even getting in someone's vehicle and having three minutes of conversation on the ride to your house or whatever it is creates a new um, level of relationship there that you didn't have before, even if you've known yeah. that person for years. And yeah. part of that is us maybe getting in their car and seeing the the chip wrappers and the spilled drinks and that they're human too. <laughs> and part of it is yeah. making ourselves vulnerable to say I need some help with this, yeah. um, you know, but. It does create a new kind of relationship, and we in turn can also, you know, be willing to help with whatever we can help with. When they're sitting there trying to help their kid, you know, with homework, and they're saying, I don't know how to do that math problem. If you do, you reach over and say, oh, I could help you with that. You know, it's the tiniest things, and, and what happens is from an acquaintance, a relationship can actually form, and then it becomes more and more easier to ask mm-hmm. for help from those same people. Yeah, I, I so agree. I, I think that there are some of us, I'm sure some people listening feel like they don't want to appear weak or they worry about how they're going to look to other people if they need help with certain things. And sure. um, I know that has been a challenge for me, especially because with fibromyalgia, I I don't have visible symptoms besides the fact that I may walk slowly some days or my eyes may look tired because I didn't sleep. Or, But... Um, you know, so people tend to think of me as a really healthy person and vibrant person, and that's great. I want them to think of me that way. <laughs> There's no question. But um, but sometimes I will ask people to do something, and, and they look at me a little funny, like, well, why do you need that, you know? The classic one is asking someone to get up from the handicapped seat on the bus 
for me because mm-hmm. that is so hard because I don't look like I need a seat, but some days I can't stand. And that's a really challenging one. Um, I don't suggest that as for first-timers <laughs> for asking for help. It's not it's – a, it's a tough one. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing that I've gotten from having a team and having so many people is um, – Saving off isolation, because I know for myself, you know, as, as a single person living in a big city in a high-rise apartment, um, you know, I can feel like I'm just in my little concrete cube up here all by my lonesome, and <laughs> knowing that I have all these people on my team really helps. Like, for example, my doorman knows that I love to get mail and that I love to get packages, and every time I get a package now, he calls me and tells me so I can run right down and <laughs> That's great. And we always have a laugh about it, and I do a little, like, song and dance for him, and it's, we, have, we have a laugh about it, and it's fun, and I think that it makes me more comfortable talking with him. And it's like I didn't even really ask for that. He just knows. He just kind of paid attention. But then when he offered it, I was like, yeah. And, you know, but I reciprocate by not – walking by him when I'm leaving to go somewhere and not acknowledging him. You know, I I walk by and I say, hey, how are you? What's going on? When You know, how was your vacation? Whatever. And right. I think that's, you know, for me, the isolation thing is a big issue. I mean, you spend a lot of time sometimes when you're flared up kind of on your own. I mean, I know you're, you have family in the house, but I think sometimes you've got to feel isolated. Yeah, I think right? there's a misconception Um among a lot of people that if you have a family, you're not isolated. (laughs) And, you know, I I feel blessed. I I have a husband, a son, and, you know, they're good guys. Um, And I still feel very isolated. So I know there's a lot of people in marriages that are really hurting or abusive. And, and, you know, that's that's sometimes much worse than even living alone. Um, But I think, you know, the most lonely times can be at 2 a.m. when you're sitting up in the dark and you're your body is throbbing in various places and the rest of the house is quiet and or else they're snoring and everybody's content <laughs> and no one knows you're hurting, you know. And I went through a period of um, being really having some reactions to a medication in August and I was just about throwing up every single night from mm. 3 o'clock till midnight I'd be nauseous and then by 1 I'd just say, okay, I'm just going to go up throw up water or something to get oh, it, you know. Yeah. And I thought there is no more lonely feeling than throwing up by yourself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Seriously. It's not like we want someone in the bathroom, but you want someone standing outside with a washcloth to say it's okay. Right. Can I get right. you anything? Totally. You know, totally. So and at I that think, point, you're like, do I need an air horn in the bathroom so I can just right. like, you, notify people? You don't, that it's that <laughs> reaction of you don't want anyone there, but you don't want to be by yourself. You want yeah. someone just to care. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and I think that um, via the computer, it's an amazing tool for being able to connect with people. Um, and some people would say, you know, that prevents the isolation in their lives that they would have without it. Um, because you can literally log on at 2 a.m. in the morning and usually find someone that's up that also understands, you know. Um, and yet I think um, we can really be at risk of depending solely on the computer and, yeah. and our friendships from around the world. And like you said, even if your connection is just with a doorman or it is with the mailman or you know, whoever. I, I always, the UPS man, when he comes to visit me, he knows more about my life than some of my uh-huh. friends. So <laughs> All they have to do is just look at what's being delivered some days. Yeah, right. You so, know? So um, when you make Team Lisa t-shirts, he's totally getting one. <laughs> right. <laughs> you really, you know, it sometimes is just having a conversation. And I always kind of feel yeah. sorry for the people that come to my door to sell me 
sell me something because half the time they walk off with one of my brochures. Uh. You know, the other day someone came from a missionary and I ended up giving him my Beyond Casseroles book and a brochure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, mm-hmm. you know, God bless you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I gave him a glass of ice water. You know, <laughs> so it's connecting with the people that are brought into your life, wherever they're brought in, where however you're feeling. It doesn't have to be major. It doesn't have to, you don't have to um, do something earth shattering in their life. Sometimes just talking to them, you may be the first person to acknowledge them as a person today. Yeah, right, and there's something right. about that that can refresh you as well. Yeah, I think, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that is just such, there are so, I think we have a lot of those moments in our life day to day that we don't realize our opportunities to connect with people. And just the, that moment of acknowledgement that we're in this together, we're having a shared experience whether you're at work, whether you're at church, on the bus, you know, at the grocery store, whatever, just connecting with people and, and sharing something with them is is so simple. It feels difficult sometimes for people who are shy or haven't done it before, but when you start doing it, I think you build these great connections, even if those moments are fleeting, even if it's just for two minutes while you're in line at the checkout and you're both giggling over a magazine cover that's ridiculous or whatever, you know? Those those moments that you're connecting, I think, are really incredible. And to your point on the online relationships, for sure, I've made so many friends online, especially through Twitter and Facebook and stuff. Um, and they are definitely my lifeline in the middle of the night when I'm not doing well and I'm by myself. And, you know, they are definitely a big part of Team Jenny. They're like, they're like Team Jenny all over the world. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So when you're, you know, we're, when you think about the idea of a team, and for me, I think that it, it reminds us that we're involved, that we're part of a community. Can you think of other places that chronic babes like us might look for people who could be team members? I mean, we've talked about our family, and we've talked about healthcare providers and stuff. And can you think of other places? Like, I know you're very active in your church community, right? So. I am, and that's um, that's where actually we just my husband and I started going to a small group last week. We haven't been involved in one for years because mm-hmm. for some reason a lot of them didn't seem to have childcare. Oh. And when we took our son to one, they had childcare. They said, well, it was basically us sitting in the living room listening to fifteen kids in a bedroom wondering who was going to be killed first, <laughs> <laughs> which was not the relaxing environment we were looking right, for. Right. So this this year, um, some friends that taught a group that are our dearest friends for over 15 years started up again, and they have child care down the street at somebody else's house with a babysitter. Oh, so we're, like, we're so there. Mm-hmm. And there's something wonderful about sitting in a room full of a group of people that you have something in common with. Mm-hmm. And I think um, for those of us that live with illness, I think it's really important that we have an outlet for um, the opportunity to speak about what we're going through with our illness. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, don't box yourself in so that that is your entire life. You may oh, be able yeah. to get the support you need for your chronic illness online because mm-hmm. um, there's not a meeting that everybody has to go to. You're not dragging yourself there. And then you might be able to find um, a group or some different thing going on in your community that has another interest. Maybe you've 
started taking up photography or something now that you're no longer able to participate in the team sports mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. that you've done. You know, if you played softball for years, suddenly maybe you can become the photographer. So, um, you know, don't think just about illness, but also think about other things you might want to be involved in and how those people can become your support network. And let's be honest, it's uh, those of us with chronic illness, we do – we reach out, we take meals and everything, but if everyone on your team, everyone has a chronic illness, <laughs> you know, you're going to be cutting yourself yep. off from a lot of the world and how the world lives yeah. because the reality is most people out there still have the, they still don't understand the aspects of invisible illness, um, and they still have some joy. And I, I also think support groups for those with chronic illness can be amazing tools. But there are seasons that we will go through in our lives where we really crave that and seasons where we don't really need it. Mm. And there are some really spectacular support groups and there are some really awful support groups. <laughs> I've been to so some of the really awful. You have to, yeah, you have to find, <laughs> you know, if you're in a season where you're thinking, you know what, this would really be helpful for me to sit down with some people and mm-hmm. talk about what I'm going through because I'm not being a great spouse or I'm not dealing with my job right now with my illness very well or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that season in your life, then go for it. And and plan on maybe visiting two or three different groups, maybe for your specific illness, maybe through your community library they might have different groups. A lot of the churches, we have Hope Keeper groups through Rest Ministries program. Um, you know, and try to check them out. You don't feel like you have to go to one. And if you go and you don't leave feeling better, my my advice would kind of be don't go back to that one yeah. because you should leave feeling somewhat uplifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and if all of your family, if you're coping with your illness and all of your family or all your friends are saying, you need to join a support group, you need to join a support group. <laughs> if you're not feeling that calling right then to do that, it's okay. You know, yeah. we go through seasons. I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I was 24 mm-hmm. and I'm 18. And there are times where it's been really helpful and I've wanted that and times where I had other things I'd rather do yeah. than go around and talk about yeah, feeling right. bad. Especially if I'm feeling decent that day, yeah. you know. So I would say, you know, um, and and now with the internet, there are some great tools with um, Facebook's Foursquare check-in kind of features mm-hmm. with um, Meetup.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond looking just at your Starbucks bulletin board or your community newspaper, um, there are some great groups out there that you might be able to find on Meetup that you never would have even thought of. Yeah participating in before absolutely and i and i agree with you that i think that looking for groups like that for support groups for our illness related stuff but also looking for groups that are just interested in some of your other interests because i agree like making everything about your illness and making everything about everything that's like your team related about your illness that is boring people are going to get frustrated you're going to get frustrated and tired of it it's like we we can't spend 24 7 we can but we shouldn't in my opinion spend 24 7 thinking and obsessing about our illness and and only relating to people in regard to it i think that the best thing we can do is fill our lives with as many other interests as possible you know yeah, I think we need to think of our illness as a tool in order to help us maybe find passion or our purpose is going to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty much everything I do through S Ministries has to do with chronic illness. Mm-hmm. But I really get rejuvenated when I go to, um, you know, I have a Christian women's mastermind group that we go to and yeah. collect information exchange. Cool. 
um, a book marketing conference, um, you know, uh, national writers and speakers association groups that I go to. And, and that's where um, I will meet other women who have a lot in common with me, and a certain, you know, 5% or something of them will also have a chronic illness, or maybe they're a cancer survivor or something, and we might have that in common. But you come away with a new perspective, and you're able to take it back to the illness community mm-hmm. and, and grow from there. So you kind of have to, you know, get out of your little circle to be able to grow and use it as a tool to, to be able to reach out to other people, which I hope, I know not everyone who has a chronic illness wants to be an advocate for it the rest of their life. <laughs> but right. yet, um, you, if you have a chronic condition, you now understand suffering right. in a way that you probably never did before. Yeah. And for those of us who are Christians, we are very familiar with the story of Job um, in the Bible who everything was taken away, and, and there were a lot of things taken away from him, and he did not crack. And then the last thing that he had was boils on his skin and mm. physical ailments. And that was the thing that kind of set him off. And he went, I've had enough. <laughs> you know, and, and there's something in that when you lose your child and your children and you lose your entire crops, you lose everything you own. There is nothing left to take from you but your health and you're still okay. And then you've had that taken from you and that, you know. Illness is a is a tool that is it teaches you suffering like no one else, and so yeah. you can go out and encourage pretty much anyone who's hurting because you you definitely understand even when not to say anything. So if right. your best friend is going through a divorce, if your um you know your sister now um you know was recently diagnosed with cancer, if someone's going through a really rough patch with a child who has a chronic condition, you even have the ability now to be able to know when to just say I'm here for you, mm-hmm. um if you need to vent put me at the top of your list and pick oh, up the phone, yeah. you know, and, and not necessarily be the advice giver or whatever else because they probably have a lot of people in their lives that that's their first instinct. And so you get the honor of being someone who kind of gets it. And, a, and that's, a, that's a great idea. place to be. Yeah, what a great concept. I mean, I really, I, I guess I've thought about it, but not in such an eloquent way, just that we are, it's almost like we are ambassadors, um, I don't want to say we're ambassadors of suffering, but we kind of are in a way. We I kind mean, of are. And, you know, every <laughs> every time you ask the person at 7-Eleven, could you open my Coke for me? Uh-huh. <laughs> every time you do that and they give yeah. you a look and you say, I'm sorry, I have such and such condition and I just can't do it today, yeah. you have now educated that person. They right. give you this look like, hmm. And if you come back two weeks later and the same person's there, they're really going to remember. But right. they may never give someone else that look again of that's why right. would you possibly need help. That's and, you right. know, and that's there's it's a same way when you park in the blue spots legally and you get the looks if someone yeah, comes over and right. says something to you it is so hard to remain calm yeah. <laughs> yep. you know and most people do not want to be educated on it if they're the ones right. down there telling you something they just want to vent but the thing is like it's the more the more we do that it's like and in those moments you're taking care of yourself you know like asking at the 7-eleven to have somebody open your soda you're taking care of yourself by getting your need met you're educating that person so that they are more knowledgeable and more compassionate, and then they are going to take that along, like you said, and share that compassionate perspective with other people. Um, we hope that in the best cases that's what happens. And basically, we, you're right. We are using our illness experience almost as a tool to help the world, to, to make everybody live in a more compassionate Place, yeah. Which, you know, so when you have to ask for help, you know, don't um, 
Don't say it, mumble it under your breath, and act embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Give them a smile and say, you know, would you mind opening this for me because I have rheumatoid arthritis or whatever you have, and, and my hands aren't working today, and I can even hold up my joints, and they're pretty obviously deformed. And they yeah. go, oh, you know, um, and have a sense of humor, you know, smile, yeah. and and <laughs> you know, that's what they'll remember. And it's a great it's a great feeling because yeah, there's so many. There's a lot of sons I've noticed lately. I don't know if God's trying to send me a signal because I have an eight-year-old. <laughs> but there's, there's, there was a guy at one of the stores I asked to open my thing. A couple weeks ago, someone came to my door about something. At these, these young men in their early um, 20s, and I've said, oh, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Blah, blah, and they go, oh, my mom has that. Uh, you know? yeah. uh-huh. and, and they go, oh, how long have you had it? You know? And they're like relieved to find someone else that has it. You know? yeah. And then I'll say, well, how is your mom doing? Or, and they, it's like they have this whole conversation. They're like, somebody gets it, you know, yeah, yeah. and and there's part of me with my son, I'm thinking, I hope he turns into a, a man like that someday. Oh, but, he will. You know? <laughs> and I but, think that's, that, that totally gets, I mean, that is what the whole team idea is about for me, is connecting with people, feeling connected, feeling part of a community, making sure that you don't feel alone, and making sure that also that community that you are a part of, that you're contributing to it. You know mm-hmm. that you're that you're. It's a shared relationship. It's it's a symbiotic relationship, and um, I think that's the best case scenario when it comes to building your team and thinking about who's on your team. You know that guy at the Seven Eleven, he's on Team Lisa. You know he's whether he, he likes he, it or not. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he may not know it. He may not know your name, but he he then becomes an like an advocate for you. He's then doing sure. something. Even that small thing, it just it does make a difference in your life and. Um, I love that idea. Well, I think that's a great place for us to kind of wrap up our conversation. Um, but I've had such a, a fun time talking with you about Team, team Lisa and Team You and building teams today and, and asking for help. It's such a challenging concept for a lot of people. Um, I hope we've given them some great ideas and reinforcement that they're not alone in that struggle, but that they can do it. Um, do you have any final thoughts you want to share about you know, I guess just to reiterate, um, you know, Jenny and I both know, you and I 
Thank you.